Dang it. I missed some conspiracy. What did I miss? Well, what makes something a conspiracy theory? Just because the news media says it's wrong? Uh, so is the news media the standard then? Or what? <laughs> no, actually, well, maybe I guess, maybe I'm the one at fault because I don't know what the actual... Maybe I don't know what the real definition of conspiracy is. I don't think anybody does. I think it's just a term used. But I, when I think of conspiracy theories, I think of ridiculous stuff like the world is flat and like yeah. all the stuff that everybody already knows, but then everyone's just like... Well, for the longest time, it was a conspiracy to think that the government was coming after your guns. That's a conspiracy. No, it's not. But, you know. I know that like one thing, because big guy, you know, Rogan was always talking about conspiracy theories. Oh. He, he says, too, that like a conspiracy theory, the term... It seems like the term came up because people who actually are involved in conspiracy theories are trying to cover up the fact. Yeah. So they claim they made they they coined a phrase conspiracy theory to make it sound like it's discrediting your right your experience or your your uh, um, opinion or yeah. Or so it's believe. disinformation of the information out there. Yeah, like, it's easy. Yeah. It's like when when if if I if you're doing something that I could potentially you give me one little idiot little bit that I could say, hey, you're being racist. Right. I say that, and boom, I call you racist, and right. all of your all your opinions are discredited. It shuts down conversation. It's an easy win, but it's yeah. it's not real though. It's empty. Yep. My one thing. What about Bigfoot? How do you feel about Bigfoot? I don't know. Um, Bigfoot and all the orbs and UFO and Skinwalker Ranch and all that stuff. I really don't know. You ever you ever listen to Blurry Creatures mm-hmm. podcast? That's what Sam cool. talked about. Is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I don't know. Um, that Patterson video, I, you know, yeah, sixty-seven. I, I don't know. I mean, if it is something, um, I mean, you know, because history has had like you know fairies and such and such and such. So is it just yeah. something leprechauns posing and... as something else? It very well could be. But yeah. it is good to be back. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a couple weeks, so. Um. So yeah, if you want to just kind of just start start, start where we were. Yeah. Where you were last week, just because I wasn't here. Is this going to be close yeah. enough? Um, I'd probably prefer a little bit closer, like here. Well, thank you guys for joining us on the Disruption Podcast today. Um, I am Alex Sigma, and I'm here with Nehemiah Shah. He's back, uh, but now Sam is gone. Yeah. <laughs> so we can only have one at a time. <laughs> we tapped out. But Sam's, Sam's taking a nap over in the chairs over there. <laughs> he's taking a nap. Well, actually, he's probably... Spreading the word out in the Sahara. No, I think it's just <laughs> on a church trip somewhere. But, um, but then we also brought Ben back for another week so we could um, discuss a little bit more in depth. I, I don't know if our conversation is going to be just like a zoom up on one aspect of that we maybe touched on last week or if we're going to something completely different. But I thought it was interesting. So last week, we the topics that we discussed were on the biblical canon. And a lot of this had to do with some of the material that you were teaching in the Sunday school class that I was really intrigued with. And I think it's important that we understand as a church, like, okay, where did we actually get our Bible? Because there's a lot of people that want to challenge that. And so it's important that a lot of people know what that entails. Like did, was just some random guy, Constantine, that just decided (laughs) I'm going to put all these books together in the canon. Or was it something that, okay, when the apostles and the prophets wrote it down, they knew that it was already from God from the beginning. And so... That led me to another thought based on our conversation last week that, okay, so we know that when they were inspired by God and they wrote what was happening, what's the difference between inspiration and preservation? And then 
how do we know that what we have now is what they had back then? So a little bit more of the preservation piece. Are there some things that God maybe have wrote, written down that was actually inspired that we have actually lost? But what we have in the Bible is, is, is both. He has supernaturally enabled me now and given me the desires to see what his word actually says. It's not the facts. We hide behind the facts. Or the atheist or the agnostic will hide behind them. No, this is family, this is friends, these are people that I love dearly that I give a kidney to. I, I desire fellowship with them. How do I do that while at the same time standing on the word? Relationships really break down those barriers. When it's gotcha versus gotcha moment, it's kind of like, all right, it's a food fight. We're just throwing everything yeah. we got at each other. We're not listening. Yeah. We don't, you know. But if you have time to sit and talk and really reason and think things over, what you can demonstrate over time is scripture being really not just reasonable, but the only true option that's out there. This is. Yeah, when it comes to inspiration and versus preservation, can you give a brief example as to the, the difference between those two? Yeah, so inspiration would be, as the book is being written, the Holy Spirit is moving the author as the words are God-breathed on the page that they're writing. So that would be inspiration. Preservation is taking what was inspired and preserving it. So setting it aside, recognizing it as inspired, recognizing it as canonical, and then making copies of it and distributing it, having the prophets and the apostles' authority on it, and then as it is as it is copied and distributed throughout the centuries, those are the books that came from the first century apostles and prophets with their authority. So the inspiration would be the God-breathed words on the page as the apostle was writing, and the preservation would be the collection, the reception, the copying, and the distribution of what God had inspired. Mm -hmm. And and Alex had kind of alluded to that other question too when it comes to when it comes to pieces that. I guess, is it possible that there had been material that was inspired, that was written down, but over the years was lost? Yeah. So you look at the uh, look at Corinthians, there's a lost letter to the Corinthian church that Paul references. There's another letter that we don't have today. Mm. And if you look at the Old Testament, there's various books such as Numbers 21 mentions the book of the wars of Yahweh. Joshua and Samuel mentioned the book of Jasher. So then the question is, were those books inspired? And Dr. Barrett here at Puritan Seminary states in his study Bible notes that if it's inspired, it's preserved. So that would be his position. So his position is the books in the Old Testament that they had that are lost are not inspired, but they're historical books, but they're not necessarily God-breathed books. So his position is, is what was inspired is preserved. So that would be his position. But the question is, is um, can a book be inspired and lost? I, um, it'd be hard to tell. You'd have to weigh the pros and cons of that debate. Um, Dr. Barrett's a very good scholar. But we know this for sure. We know that what we have today in our Bible is exactly what God wants us to have. 
because nothing ex escapes his providential control. This just didn't happen by accident. Yeah. And he works through ordinary means, which human beings, after the apostles and the prophets ceased, after the first century, of receiving and passing down what had already been inspired. When it comes to, I guess, I don't know, you could probably tell me what to call them other than this, but I might think of them as kind of like accessory books. Like a lot of people look at the book of Enoch or any, anything other than what might be in my 66 books in my Bible right now. Um, I guess for me, from what I know about them, I wouldn't necessarily advise someone not to read them. I'd rather say, hey, read it, but do it very carefully. Uh, when it comes to that, how, how would you, because I've had people ask me this, how would you advise a Christian, and also it probably depends on their current walk with the Lord, but how would you advise someone approach books like the Book of Enoch? I guess what are some, that's the first one that comes to mind, but the, you mean, the Maccabees, you know, the books that Christians might read. Ecclesiasticus, maybe it was probably another one. Got Gospel of Thomas, you know, like mm -hmm. these these books. I know they're all different too, but how would you advise a Christian go about that. Yeah, we had talked about this pretty thoroughly um, last week referring to the Apocrypha of the Old Testament. So you have the Maccabees, you have Baruch, Bell and the Dragon, Judith Tobit, all those books. You'll see them in the Roman Catholic Bible, but you won't see them in ours. So we mm -hmm. mentioned last week that they're not inspired. We gave our various reasons for it. Um, they're historical books, so you can approach them historically, but I wouldn't approach it nearly as I would with Scripture, not that every word is God-breathed on the page, but rather it was a historical document at the time. Bell and the Dragon, I mean, if you read that, it's just an interesting account of how they put hair and fat together to choke out the dragon. Mm. So, you know, it's interesting stories. How accurate that is, I, um, off the top of my head, I wouldn't be able to tell you. They're there, and I think a lot of the reasons why the Book of Enoch is so popular today, well, it's mentioned in Jude, but also because it mentions the Nephilim, so that brings in all of the, you know, what you hear on ancient aliens and all of those things. Yeah. That book is referred to all the time, but it's not an inspired book. It wasn't written by a prophet. It wasn't written during the time of the Holy Spirit's inspiration, and we went through the reasons last week. But they're just, they're historical books, and just... You know, read them, but as you're reading them, what ends up happening anyways, when I read through Maccabees or something like that, after about chapter five or six, I realize that my mind is already starting to wander. It's not gaining my interest. So I, there's nothing really um, taboo about them. I would just say that approach them as they're a, a historical book uh, from a, a general perspective. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, that's true. Like when we, when we read them, they're not like, they, they, I think they help us pick out a little bit more from like what what when we're thinking about the culture of the people in in the old testament or around that time period it can help us maybe def maybe open up okay this is more of like what their culture looked like and maybe we can maybe understand scripture through the lens of understanding their culture or the stories they had written around that time and maybe that can help us like flesh out a little bit more of like what people are referring to or like what the Bible is referring to or something like that. So we're not just coming at everything from our own modern perspective, you know? Yeah. With historical context. Like yeah. Yeah. Right. But so when it comes to scripture and, and as a believer, hopefully everyone listening and I'm sure everyone in the room right now, hopefully you would have the idea that scripture, although it's old and I mean, technically ancient, 
it's still relevant for today. Right. How could someone as, say, a, a young person in high school, college, maybe even after college, engaging with, with work friends, how do you deal with a person who potentially is respectful of scripture, not necessarily someone who's a obnoxious atheist saying all kinds of derogatory things about scripture, but rather the respectful person that believes that it's just good stories and and Jesus was a good teacher and of course I'm gonna love I'm gonna love my neighbor like I love myself and mm-hmm. how, how do you how do you deal with that person how of course it's you know being from a more foreign background myself i would believe that it's not up to me to convince anyone of anything because i can't mm-hmm. it's up to the scripture excuse me it's up to the spirit to to work in the heart of an individual but at the same right. time how do you approach we still do have to defend in a way we have to stand up for the scriptures and, and for what we believe in so how do you approach that individual Right. So what I would say is you would treat the Bible like you would um, any other ancient piece of literature or any other book. So if you're going to pick up To Kill a Mockingbird, you know it's fiction. It's a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you pick up the Bible, that's not what it says it is. From mm-hmm. Genesis to Revelation, it's history. It's God speaking through the author actual historical counts, actual historic names. So allowing the scripture to speak for itself, when we come to the scripture with the judgment that it's just ancient myth, fable, medieval superstition, we are presupposing that and we are not allowing the text to speak for itself. Now there's very few books in the world where anybody does that. When you pick up, um, if you pick up Plato, you pick up Aristotle, or even you look at um, Caesar's Gallic Wars or historical accounts, people take that verbatim and they give the author, the historic author, the benefit of the doubt that what they're saying is true unless they come across something that would prove otherwise. What happens with Scripture is when they come across the supernatural, being in a naturalistic worldview that we've been immersed in over the past 150 years, we already come to the table that miracles can't happen. David Hume or whoever they they have as their um, influencer to that. So we presuppose that on the text and we're not allowing the text to speak for itself. If you allow the text to speak for itself, you have God speaking from Genesis to Revelation. And if you are going to tie the knot in the hose, so to speak, and to kink that off, you're never going to understand Scripture as it has been laid out to us because the human bias is not is kind of hindering that from being. So would it be wise if I was, if Alex was that respectful, call him the agnostic that's still respectful, mm-hmm. to, to even start the conversation by by going at the understanding that, hey, I, I know that you think that this is just a potentially a fairy tale or, or mythical with a little bit of history sprinkled in, or vice versa, a historical book with, book with a little bit of mystery sprinkled in. Rather than just that, just begin the conversation by saying, hey, this is where I'm standing when it comes to, with my worldview, I believe that this is, this is in fact inspired, right? Like I, what I mean to say is, I guess, would it be right to come into the conversation with a mutual understanding that this book is, 
this book is more than just history. It's more, it's, it's, it's not just history. It's more than that. And it's not just spiritual. It's, it's more than that. It's both of those things. But I guess how, how would you begin that conversation that would lead you into a potential open door uh, to continue that conversation with the unbelieving friend? Right. So the, um, how I would start is starting out right away that, all right, here's my position. I believe that Scripture is God speaking to us. Does God have the ability to speak and communicate to his creation? And obviously he does. So then you would say, okay, so from that position then, does he have the ability to inspire an author and communicate with um, prophets and apostles so they can write the message down so we can have it throughout the centuries? And I don't see a problem with that. If people then say, well, what about the miraculous things that happen in the Bible? Well, is it impossible for God to create unusual events? Yeah. If he created everything out of nothing, why would that be so hard mm -hmm. to grasp? So what you really want to do is, and we talked about this last week too, Romans chapter 1 shows the fact that God has created everybody with what's known as the sensus divinitatis or the sense of divinity within somebody, that God actually exists. Hmm. But on top of that, he has created natural law within our hearts. So we have a conscience. We know right from wrong, good from evil. It's, it's just there. It's um, implanted. Being an image bearer of God. And Scripture speaks right to that. So what you want to challenge them on is we have common ground. We understand that right and wrong exist. But where does morality come from? If it's just a social construct that we create, why does everybody have the same type of format? For instance, stealing or um, intentionally killing an innocent human being, um, slavery, racism. They've been wrong all throughout human history. Why is that? If they're just social constructs, then there really isn't anything absolute or construct as far as morality is concerned. Morality comes from God. It comes from his very character, and he has implanted it on every single human being's soul. But here's what happens. We know this. We know right and wrong. We know the existence of God. And like we talked about last week, we choose to suppress that. So what we do is we don't want there to be a God who we're accountable to. We don't want there to be a God who sets the rules. We want to be able to set our own rules. And then after we've set our own rules, then bring in some biblical morality to fill in our life to give it value, hope, and meaning. So what you want to challenge somebody on is, A, the fact that they know that God exists because it's self-evident. Second, you want to challenge them on is, do you notice that you're suppressing that? What are the reasons why you may believe in a naturalistic worldview such as evolution over scripture? Is it really science? My opinion, it's not even close. It's just a theory. But is it because now you can be the rule maker of your own life and now you can dismiss the Bible as being those things? So the suppression of God knowing he exists but not wanting to acknowledge that he's spoken in his word. Whoa. That, that'll call someone out, too. That'll, that'll really make them think yeah. whether or not are they just picking a worldview that lines up with their own, their own desire for how they want right. to live their own life. The, 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 the desire is the key. Yeah. We do what we do because we want what we want. It's not really an intellectual knowledge-based thing. It doesn't come down to, all oh, the facts say this or the facts say that. What it comes down to is, what do I want and 
how does that influence what I believe? Mm. If we start with the moral, we're always going to be right on target. You can make it about the knowledge. You can turn it into the facts. You can debate this, that, this premise, that premise. But if you have five to ten minutes or maybe just you know a couple hours a week with somebody, I would say focus right on the issues of the heart. That'll put everything mm. right away into its perspective. That's interesting because a lot of times, I one thing I mention on the podcast a lot is regurgitating YouTube reels or, or, or what are shorts? Yeah. YouTube shorts yeah. and Instagram reels that you've seen. So, you know, you memorize your favorite yeah. YouTuber, political figure, and, and you spit out the things that they say, which is right. not original. Right. Like, once you have a debate, like a friendly debate with a friend, whether it's political, religious, whatever it is, usually you run out of those, right? Because unless you're a real intellectual and you have these constantly in your head, you're not that original. You end up running out of the the cliff notes that you've memorized mm -hmm. and then that usually takes about five to ten minutes mm -hmm. like then where do you go from there mm -hmm. then you really start to realize oh shoot i'm a i'm a real person that where, where am i why am i thinking of these things yeah why and why do i allow myself to live like this and and that's where you start to get into the desire you start to get into where you, you can you can really see and kind of ask an individual where where's your heart here mm -hmm. right you know, it's interesting you mentioned that you have to ask the question too, why is it you're believing that person? What is it that is drawing you to their conclusion, causing you to memorize that and having that as your response? Mm. See that there's a foundation to that. It's not just the facts. What's behind the facts? What is in your heart that is wanting to believe what that individual is saying? Mm. So as Christians, we can be honest. We can say, look, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit working in my heart, I would believe the same thing you believe because I don't want there to be a God. I don't want to be morally accountable. I don't want to live under these Ten Commandments. I want to live the way I want to, too. Yeah. But because God has regenerated my heart, He has supernaturally enabled me now and given me the desires to see what His Word actually says. So that really does put the, put the spotlight right on where the problem is. It's not the facts. We hide behind the facts. Or the atheist or the agnostic will hide behind them but we want to get past that as to what is the motivation as to why they are believing, let's just say, the naturalistic evolutionary worldview. Why? Mm -hmm. And like you said, once their talking points after five or ten minutes are gone and you see that it's a very shallow defense, mm. what's behind that is they just don't want God to exist. Because in my mind, what that looks like is... You know, you know the phrase, and I've mentioned it on the podcast too. But you know the the word picture that Spurgeon gives about the lion in the cage. If you're a soldier defending a lion, and there are there's an army coming to attack you and the lion, you don't need to be uh, the warrior in the front with uh, with a sword and the helmet that's too big for him. Your knees are clinking. You know, just open up the cage, get behind it, and let the lion do the work. He'll do it himself. So when it, when it comes to individuals attacking Scripture, you don't have to try to defend Scripture with points. Just Scripture can defend itself. You know, God, the Word doesn't need you. The Word, capital W, doesn't need you to defend it. It can do it itself. Just let the Scripture out. So that's true. Would you agree that that's, that's well, true? Um, I guess it, it depends on how... Um, from what perspective you're saying that? Are you saying that from the perspective that we don't have to necessarily 
overly concern ourselves with the fact that Christianity will exist tomorrow because God's sovereign control is already going to assure that. So he uses us as just mere instruments because Paul does talk about the fact that we, um, everything that exalts itself um, in opposition to Christ were to tear it down. Mm-hmm. So we do want to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Right. But then at the same time, it's God's battle. As Scott Oliphant's book um, talks about, the mm-hmm. battle belongs to the Lord. Right. So it is God's battle. Yeah. We are his instruments. We're faithful. Right. We have a reason for the hope that's within us. But then after that, it's between them and the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't mean by, what I mean by that is I don't mean like it's a, a way out or a, a I can say now I can be lazy because it's not up to me. God has to do it. I get I get to sit back and do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Of course, you have to, to enable for Scripture to actually defend itself. You have to know it, mm-hmm. right? You have to actually be able to deliver the Scripture and 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 know your Bible and know where to find these things. So I don't I don't I'm not advocating for any kind of laziness when it comes to that. Specifically, what I mean is that whenever you find yourself in that conversation about relevance of Scripture. Yeah, and for me, sometimes I end up trying to get a gotcha question. Yeah, it's kind and, of what it comes down to a lot of times. Yeah, yeah I try to, you know, yeah. I think, well, well, what about this? Or what about right. this? Or this historian says this. And actually, this theory, you think it it, it matches up with your opinion, but actually matches up with mine. So mm-hmm. I got you there, too. Mm-hmm. And and really, like with like when we were just talking about about five minutes ago, how when, when you're having these conversations, it always boils down to what like the desires of the, the heart. Right. And you can truly see what someone desires once all that, you know, fodder kind of blows away. And so that's when, you know, just that once you, once someone's walls are, are kind of down, I feel like that's when you can use, or it seems to me that that's when you can use scripture and say, you know, you can read it and, and explain it to them and say, tell me this doesn't prick at your heart. Right. You know, that's letting the lion out and saying like this, hey, look, this is what scripture says. Right. What, what, what is this? Where are you sitting with that? So I think what you're saying is we can't advance the gospel, you know, one foot on our own strength that we present it. And then it's between the Lord and that individual. And I would agree. It's interesting, too, because those gotcha moments is kind of what everything has become just because of, you know, YouTube shorts and yeah. how short YouTube videos are. It's nothing but a bunch of gotcha moments slinging back and forth. Mm-hmm. I think, like we were saying, how do you reach the heart of an individual? It's over time through patient evangelism. Mm. So you can allow all of your friends' objections to come at you until they've they've um, shot all their arrows. Mm. And then over time, okay, well, let's just talk about this one and give it time. And then the next mm. one and give it time. Um, relationships really break down those barriers. When it's gotcha versus gotcha moment, it's kind of like, all right, it's a food fight. We're just throwing everything yeah. we got at each other. We're not listening. Yeah. We don't, you know. But if you have time to sit and talk and really reason and think things over, what you can demonstrate over time is Christianity being, Scripture being really not just reasonable, but the only true option that's out there. Because every other worldview falls short of yeah. answering the tough questions. And it's interesting because that's what secular people are saying right now too, is that all these gotcha moments in the, sh- yeah. the TikTok, you know, the TikTok brain where everyone, think, how long is a TikTok video? It's like it's I, like you know less than thirty. Or, I don't yeah, know. I never went on TikTok. Like to be honest, I don't yeah. know anything about it. <laughs> no, <laughs> like the whole thing is that it's like a quick scroll. You yeah, know, you're not you're not sitting there watching a even a three minute video. It's just a quick thing. Yeah, 
And so everyone has this quick mindset to where even secular people nowadays are like, this this isn't right. This yeah. isn't how you have a relationship with someone. No, and it actually what it shows is immaturity. Yeah, It shows like you just read a book and now yep. you just want to go and, and just regurgitate everything rather than sit and really ingest and meditate on it and be like, hmm, I can present this argument in this manner over mm-hmm. a long period of time rather than just boom, 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 boom. And, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. Maybe this is me trying to be innocent as a dove and crafty as a serpent. You know, do you know Jordan Peterson? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, when he talks about how he went through a lot of marriage counseling or he, he walked couples through marriage counseling and he said, next time you have a fight, the only thing you're allowed to do is go into separate rooms and the only thing you can think about and you have to write it down are the things that you did wrong right. in the situation. Right. You can't even think about anything they did. Right. Even if you did a 99 things wrong and I only did one thing wrong, I'm not allowed to think of the 99. That's up to you to come up with uh, until you can find that common ground. I I wonder if it's a, a tactic like a, when it comes to crafty as serpents, a tactic to say, hey, listen, I'm going to do, I, I want you to take five to ten minutes to explain to me your entire mindset, worldview, experience with the scriptures. And I'm going to do my very best to take notes and, and learn exactly what you believe about it and almost explain it back to you better than you can explain it to me. But then you have to do that. You have to let me do that to you mm-hmm. to where it's like a, a agreed upon thing to where that means you know that they're going to be in the scriptures and if the rule is that you have to be able to explain this back to me better than i can explain it to you it's like oh it's like a yeah that seems like it could be a tactic to where it's to where to where it is that long it's not a short quick gotcha moment it's like you said it's evangelicalism over a long period of time or an evangelical relationship over a long period of time rather than just a quick right it's um so if you i think a natural friendship will organically do the tennis match back Mm -hmm. and forth just naturally yeah so if you ask somebody a question okay so what are your okay so you're hostile towards the christian faith you know just a simple question is well what is what are your beliefs about god what are your beliefs about the Bible? Tell me about them. Gets people to open up. And to allow an individual to open up and not to shut them down right away because mm. then they're going to be on the defensive or they're going to wall up. You're never going to hear it. Yeah. But just enter into their life like you said. So they're taking you through their journey. So you are kind of, in a sense, just a passenger on a ride and you're absorbing what they're saying and you're thinking about it and you're allowing them to construct their belief, like if it were a clay statue in front of you, so then you can see what they believe. Yeah. And then if, see, that's element of trust to this, though, too. I mean, the more you can develop that relationship, the more they're going to be open. And then as they've developed that structure, asking, you know, good questions, not accusative questions, not, like you said, gotcha questions. Yeah. But for instance, um, okay, somebody says, I just, I believe in philosophical naturalism. I believe that um, we just all evolved from matter. And so a simple question would be, okay, but you believe that? And they're like, yes. Is a belief something that's material or immaterial? Well, it's immaterial. Well, if we evolved from matter, how do you explain the immaterial thoughts in your mind? (laughs) So then it gets them thinking. 
Yeah. The wall ain't up now. It's a genuine question. Mm-hmm. It's not a gotcha question, yeah. but it's like, well, wait a minute. I've never thought of that. But now yeah. it sinks in the heart rather than bounce off the wall because yeah. you've taken that time to really listen to. And then you can ask them, well, if you can give me an answer for that, maybe you can help me see things clearly. And, yeah. you know, it, it can go back and forth like that. But again, that's why one of my favorite um apologists is Francis Schaeffer. And it's not just because how smart he was. But when you listen to him, he opened up Labrie. He would actually sit down and really, really spend time listening and thinking through a person's struggle and entering into it with them to the point of tears because he really cared for people. Wow. That's what draws me to him because it's not just this intellectual slugfest. It's actually, okay, you have this knowledge now and the Lord holds us accountable to mm-hmm. what we know and how we use it and how we represent him. So if we're just going to be swinging the sword all over the place recklessly or trying to show how smart we are or trying to find the wound in an individual and expose it with the sword, that's not how Jesus did it. That's not how Jesus approached the woman at the well. So I don't think we should either. Mm. I love that. Yeah. And that gives, it, it gives, since a lot of, maybe a lot of Christians see that type of communication on online, you know, that confrontation yeah. and the gotcha questions mm-hmm. that they feel like we got to memorize it. Here, I feel like for me as a believer, hearing that with with fresh eyes, it get, almost lets me give grace to the people I'm talking to, you know. And, and how much how much more freeing is that when when you you know you have the grace given to you to just give that grace back and just just say, right. hey, listen, I'm all my, my all I'm gonna do here is do my best to understand mm-hmm. what you have to say. Mm-hmm. You know, Alex, I don't care what you, what, what, you know, I'm not going to try to beat you in an argument or anything. I just, my job is to fully understand where, where you're coming from. I, I'm like, well, that's, that's welcoming. <laughs> yeah. That's kind. That's, yeah. I love that. And what you're going to end up finding is it, what's common to most people. You're going to find out it's rarely, if ever, anything of a historical or intellectual issue. It's a hard issue. Yeah. Um, Something that happened to him in the past, why did God allow it? An experience with a Christian in their past that completely turned them off yep. from the church. Um, being raised in a, in a strict, rigid Christian home where they want nothing to do with... Generally, that's what you're going to find. Yeah. Once you boil everything down and, and get to the brass tacks of it, yeah. it's not the X's and the O's. It's like we've talked about already. It's, it's the matter of the heart. It, almost, it, it reminds me of a story that I've had where... Um, I went to this house on New Year's Eve party and we actually had an opportunity where we were able to share the gospel with them a little bit because this was um, a couple of friends, uh, actually my, my girlfriend's high school friends, and we went over there and they were talking about just where they were coming from and it was it was just, it, both of them were totally unbelievers. I think one of them was raised in a Christian home, very rigid, like you said, very strict. And then family was, I think, very anti-gay, anti-homosexual. And but she was like, well, I'm bisexual. And then eventually came to this point where she was just like, basically outright saying, like, I'm pagan and I'm proud of it or whatever. And, and her that. boyfriend yeah, was almost the same way. I think, well, actually, her boyfriend never grew up in a um, Christian household or, or at all or anything like that. But it's, yeah, it's this kind of like rigidness. But don't you think there's deep down like the 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 people who could could be 
evangelize. Now we're just talking about evangelism right now. So I thought it was, first of all, I thought we were talking about preservation and inspiration. And now, we're, now we're just going straight into evangelism, which is kind of cool. Yeah. But um, do you think now that the, the Christians who might, there might be a chance at evangelize, um, being able to evangelize to them and for them to become Christians, they have to come to this point where it's not about um, this moralist, the the moral issues they have with God. It's it's uh, you know oh oh maybe it was just like this family that I grew up in that was really bad. But the real Christianity, like if you showed them the real Christianity, do you think they would change? Well, yeah. Um, so we don't we don't want to um, take away from what the gospel is. Mm-hmm. So yes, it is about sin. Yes, it is about our rebellion against God. It is those things. But what we are demonstrating is the guilt, the anger, the shame, the resentment, all of those things in the past that we have in our relationship to God, that not only do we know that we are going to stand before God in judgment, but that God offers forgiveness. So it's the whole package. It's both law and grace. If we continue to rebel against God, we are, we are going to face His judgment. God's perfectly just. But at the same time, Scripture teaches God's love and God's forgiveness, and you want to keep them balanced. And I think a lot of times what we do as Christians is, today the whole LGBT push is on, our, on the front of our minds, and we attack that first. And yeah, personal sin, original sin, all of those things are at the forefront. But it's interesting because Jesus said this in, let me turn here, John 13, verse 35 and 36. So we're talking about apologetics. We're talking about evangelism. They go together. But what was Jesus' answer to, what would he say is the number one apologetic weapon we have? And in John 13, verse 34, Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you had loved one another. So how we love each other as Christians and how we love the person we're talking to. If we love somebody we're talking to, regardless of the sin, we're going to love that person. Yeah. Regardless of their part of the LGBT or whatever it is, yeah. You're not going to look at them as if they're a you know they they're a stain and, and they they got to stay distance from you. Right. You're going to love them and treat them as an image bearer of God. Mm-hmm. And if they can, you, if you can communicate that to them where they feel that and where they see that and they yeah. hear that, yeah. that yeah we do disagree, but I don't hate you. Mm-hmm. I think that's the foundation that where we have mm-hmm. to start. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to add to that, go ahead. I have no. I just have fam. I mean, I have family members and friends where. I desire a relationship with them, and I, I want my, I don't have a wife or kids yet, but I want my kids to grow up with them one day, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I desire relationship, but where I'm sitting is that because of a lifestyle that they live or are comfortable with living, and then the fact that I'd, I'd be more likely to tell them, hey, I still I love you, but I think there's something better for you still going to engage with you even regardless of this right 
but still there I believe there's something better for you there. I don't think this is full fulfilling, mm-hmm. right? right? But because of that, since they're so attached to the fact that this is this is so a part of me and this is who I am and this is my lifestyle, if you're against that, then you're against me as well. And then and I'm like and then out. I'm stuck saying no 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 right, no. Right, right. And that while they're walking out they're like no no that's not what I mean at all. And that's what's the hard thing. Right. And I think a lot of a lot of Christians and a Maybe you might be accused of being a overly tolerant or or a someone who's someone who's uh, some. I mean, perhaps someone who's more political might be like you're letting them, you're letting the whatever agenda, left or right, you're letting their agenda win. It's like no, this is family, this is friends. These are people that I love dearly that I'd give a kidney to, right? It's I, I desire fellowship with them regardless what so how do i do that while at the same time standing on the word and saying i'm not going to back from this i love you and i'm if i have to i want to drag you into heaven even if your nails are going to be dragging to the ground you know how do you how do you balance that well sometimes the uh, best way to look at something is how not to do it so i walk into a store one day i wanted to look at projectors and as I walk in, the young salesman came up to me and he didn't stand a foot from me the entire time I was in the store. Mm. I mean, I'm walking around and he's right behind me in my ear the whole time. He didn't give me a foot of space. Mm. And right away, I'm like, okay, I'm going to come up with an excuse to be nice and to leave. Yeah, We don't want to be that kind of Christian. We don't want to be a friend, but then they can feel that there is an underlying agenda, agenda or motive yeah. that we're not really being honest about, and that we're just yeah. hanging out with you to convert you. People aren't stupid; they're going to know yep. that. So yep. the way it is is Jesus says it's through love. Do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Do we love our enemies? Do we pray for our enemies? And if we're going to be honest, no. Mm. Not like we should. Mm-hmm. So when we get to know somebody and develop that relationship with somebody, they're already, if you've already made it known that you're a Christian, they already are aware. Yeah. So then it's taking the time to develop the patience and the trust where you can speak into their life and say, look, and you can start wherever they're at. Again, that's where wisdom comes. There's no formula to this. Yeah. But if they feel genuine friendship and con- concern and compassion for them, and they don't feel like you're over their shoulder trying to convert them, but they know you're a Christian, and that yeah. comes up in conversation. See how you yeah. keep these things balanced? Yeah. It just takes a lot of social intelligence, and sure. not like we're taking a square pig and, and trying to shove it into a round hole and trying to get them to bend their will. We can't. God does that. Yeah. But like Rosaria Butterfield talks about in her book, the first time she was invited over to the pastor's house, he didn't even bring up the gospel. Sure. They just ate. Yeah. And then they developed that relationship, and then they developed that trust. And then we have to have faith that when we do have those opportunities to speak truth, then that's when God works, and mm. we've done our part. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And that's I mean, that's being the hands and feet, right? You know, a lot of people, <clears throat> a lot of my friends that might talk smack on reformed theology. A lot of times, what I hear is, "Oh, so you're reformed? Yeah. Oh, so you? Uh, why do you evangelize then?" Know exactly where they're going to go with that question. Mm-hmm. Like, if if God is the one who chooses you, then how come you don't just uh, 
how come you don't just stay home? He's gonna make people Christians, anyways. It's like you idiot. How do you think he? How do you think they? <laughs> where do you think they hear? That's our whole. That's our. He works through us. That's right. that's why we're here, and and that's the. That's what's so encouraging about it is that we are ambassadors, right? We are called to be the ones who 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 have to. I wouldn't even say have to. Who who get to bring the good news? That's why it's called. That's why it's called the good news. It's the gospel, right? That's we get to. To, to knock on these doors and, and tell our loved ones like, hey, I, this is for you. This is a gift for you. So that's, a, I mean, for me, that's a very encouraging thing that I, rather than, you know, biting my knee, biting my nails and rattling my knees together, wondering how, how am I going to convince someone of this? Just love them. Right. Just love on them. And that takes, that takes a, a long period of time. It doesn't take a, it's not this quick thing that happens over, a right. weekend getaway. I mean, it you know? can, but no, it's not normally the way it works. Right. You're not going to convince anybody of anything. Right. Once you can get that stress off your shoulders, evangelism is natural. Mm-hmm. It's not on, It's not up to you. Yeah. You're not going to do it. You can't change the heart. God yeah. can. How can I be the best ambassador? So think of it this way. Think of it as somebody who had a severe drug addiction for many, many years and struggled with it, and God had delivered them. So somebody who came out of the mud turning around now, understanding that they were the exact same thing that all of the other people who are addicted to drugs are, that they're no better, that they're no different. But that's true for all Christians. We Mm -hmm. all were called out of the world system. We're all sinners. So there has to be a humility there where, and I think this is our problem sometimes, we can be so overly zealous that we forget who we are outside of Christ and we lose our patience and we lose our sensitivity and we get frustrated and we get judgmental. And we become bitter towards those who are openly opposed to us. Yeah. And the love doesn't come out. Now it becomes the gotcha moments. Now it becomes yeah. the, well, you're just in the judgmentalism. Love comes go out. Up. Love's gone. Yeah. So if, if that sensitivity, that's why I always like to mention Francis Schaeffer, because when you mm-hmm. watch him, his sensitivity was always there. He yeah. really genuinely concerned about the person rather than the person on the YouTube short who's standing on the podium out in the public. And, yep. you know, <laughs> yep. it's just real. It's genuine. It's heartfelt. And if they sense brokenness from us rather than spiritual pride, I think a lot of times our spiritual pride can get in the way of our own evangelism. We yeah. we have that aura about us. We don't even realize we do. Yeah. 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 Right. Absolutely. And it's, in, I mean, we start. We did start with inspiration of scripture. Yeah. But the thing is, is that the when we're talking, yeah. No, the thing that the thing that we're delivering to people, it's far bigger than us. You know, I've been on this this world for you know twenty six years. You know, it's not very long. This has been on. <laughs> it's been around for a whole lot longer than I have. So rather than me trying to to lift it lift it up above my head, I'm. Not, not strong enough. Why don't, why not just stand on it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, it, when it comes to inspiration, preservation, this is why it's been inspired and and preserved, so so that I can deliver it and 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 the k- kingdom of God can be expanded. All right. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. I know you brought five pages of notes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's somewhere right here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. We can always go over them some other time. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, yeah, so thank you guys for um, joining us today, and we'll see you guys next week. Catch you on the flip side.
Adiós. You've been listening to the Disruption Podcast, where we disrupt the culture and place Jesus at the center of it all. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing from wherever you are. You can also follow us on Instagram. Once again, thank you so much. We'll see you on the next episode.